0: This podcast is for those making bold moves to reverse global warming. We are The Determined Ones, solving humanity's gnarliest challenges.
1: It's a podcast on climate action, the determined mindset, and how standing out helps you make a meaningful impact. This is Sarah.
0: Hey, what's up? It's Mark.
1: We are basically done with a whirlwind tour (laughs) (laughs) of three conferences in two weeks.
0: You sound so dramatic
1: it, it kind of was it,
0: it kind of was it was exhausting we um it
1: was wonderful
0: yeah we did SoCap 2019 here in san francisco california
1: and then verge the
0: next day we the did next Verge. Day verge oakland. carbon <laughs> the, the new verge carbon track in and, oakland
1: california
0: and then a week later we flew to boulder colorado to take part in regenerative earth summit um Yeah, so all three conferences were actually part of the conference programming. We offered our uh, networking event, Thinking Wrong to Amplify Impact.
1: Yeah, so it was really, really awesome to be able to offer our event. You know, this is an event that we have been offering to the public as like a a guided networking event. And, you know, over the last few months, we uh, we asked to... um, put it into SOCAP as like as part of SOCAP Open. Um, that was a thing that required voting from our audience and fans. And so huge thank you to everyone who voted, who shared testimonials, who'd gone to our public events and, and then um, shared that experience in the SOCAP Open voting. Um, and then with Verge, we were um, invited to do an event there. And so we- by everybody, Jim, our buddy Jim Giles, so thank you Jim for helping us be a part of the new carbon track.
0: We'll Um, put a link to our interview with Jim in the show notes.
1: Yeah, and then Regen Earth Summit, we went last year as participants, and we really loved it, we wanted to go again, and we just really felt like a guided networking event would help everybody there have some time to get to know each other on a deeper level and connect with each other, so that is what we pitched to Celine, the organizer, and she took a risk on us and said, sure, Here's, here's, you know, this portion of the schedule. Come on in and gave us the stage, which is really, really awesome. Thank you.
0: Yeah. So these are uh, really fun events. Uh, they can last anywhere from 45 minutes to two hours. We introduce the whole think wrong process, which is part of our uh, remix. Uh, and then we take the larger group and break it down to smaller groups. We introduce a think wrong exercise with a prompt uh, that relates to the conference in some way. And then we do that for a few rounds. After each round, smaller groups share out. We have fun. These are crazy, cool ideas, wacky ideas. Everyone laughs.
1: There's lots of laughter.
0: And then after that, there's mingling. It's an opportunity for people to, to meet others who are at the conference, at conferences, in a very fast, easy way. And then after our event is officially over, people have new friends to talk to throughout the conference.
1: Yeah. I think this is, you know... The reason that we wanted to bring this to conferences is it's a, it's a fun, interactive way for people to talk to each other instead of sitting there listening to content being broadcast at them. And it's a much, like I said kind of earlier, it's a deeper connection, I believe, than just walking up to somebody during a mingling event and saying, so what do you do? What brings you here? Um, I don't know, like, because I'm an introvert, that kind of small talk just exhausts me. But when I'm able to brainstorm crazy ideas with people and um, talk to them on that level where we're coming up with solutions together, I feel way more energized by that kind of conversation.
0: Yeah, so we love doing these events. and. You can learn more at thedetermined.co slash events.
1: Yeah, but what we wanted to talk about is, you know, in the process of going to those three conferences, we learned a lot about both, you know, the kinds of people that are going to Earth-centered conferences or climate action-centered conferences um, and what people are in general, like, trying, looking for like what, you know, if you want to call it the environmental movement or the climate impact movement, what are things that people are struggling with? What are some trends that we're seeing in that industry? So we kind of wanted to uh, open this up for some philosophical discussion a little bit about what we observed and noticed in our conversations with people at these three events that happened in this whirlwind two weeks. (laughs) (laughs) So um, where should we start? Let's dive in. Um, I think, you know, overall from doing the Think Wrong event at conferences, um, I think our theory was proven. I like we were hoping that it would generate a lot of crazy fun ideas and get people talking to each other, getting people networking and connecting deeply, getting people energized and having fun. And, you know, from the feedback that we got from everybody, I definitely think that was the case. They were just like, wow, I loved your event. That was so much fun. Um, I saw somebody who they came up with a idea they called it haiku farmers <laughs> and right then and there at the event they got on their phone and registered the domain haiku com, i believe so watch that space <laughs> <laughs> and uh, if you're out there and you need any help organizing or getting that website off the ground we would love to help.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah one of the the things we end the workshop or the the event with is a is a prompt on screen what was your biggest insight or takeaway from our time together and People say the same thing. People love how quickly they're able to generate fun, crazy ideas in a shorter pa- amount of time. And it's an opportunity for people to think differently. Mm-hmm. Um, we, Like I said before, we introduced the think-wrong process. Obviously, we cover very high-level um, uh, information on that process, but they get a little taste of it. Uh, they get a little glimpse of the process, and, and they love it. And within a few rounds, anywhere between 45 minutes to two hours, they can come up with really fun, crazy ideas. Um, That they can walk away with and maybe either pursue themselves like the guy who bought the HaikuFarmers.com domain name (laughs) or just, you know, obviously take these think wrong exercises into their workplace the next day or the next week when they go back to work. Mm
1: -hmm. Yeah, and I think the other interesting thing about this and that will get us into our philosophical conversation is in a guided networking event, you're not just walking up to people who look inviting to you, which might lead to some biases that you have that you don't know about um for better or worse we're forcing people to talk to each other (laughs) who might not necessarily always talk to each other so you know people are starting to recognize that they need to um, get a more diverse set of ideas and get out and talk to more people maybe who don't look like them Mm -hmm. or look like the other people that they always talk to so that is something that germinates more creativity is is talking to a more diverse group of people with different backgrounds different backgrounds
0: different ages Different uh, demographics where they live, perhaps. So, yeah, lots of factors.
1: Yeah. So, I want to dive into the three different conferences. There were three different types of people that um, each conference sort of caters to and attracts. And, you know, overall, all of these people yeah they're way beyond like they believe that climate change is real like we're not even having that conversation anymore thank god um we all very anxiously want to do something about it so that we don't die in a desert hellfire in 20 years um so we're all (laughs) yeah we're all like on that page together um and so you would kind of i don't know like what you call that is it environmentalists like it's not really you would think that all of the people at all these three conferences would overlap and are all the same but it's that's not the case either so let's, let's dive into that a little bit, like um, SOCAP, that stands for social capital. Um, they attract a very business financially minded set, in general, I'm obviously speaking in generalizations. So you get a lot of investors and philanthropists who are very experienced in negotiating and dealing with the money, where does money go? And like, how can we get more money flowing into climate impact? projects.
0: Nonprofits or, you know, these types of projects. Yeah, you have, you have also a lot of foundations as well. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it's it's about directing money towards social innovation, which yeah. is needed.
1: Yeah. So they all, you know, they have that desire for climate impact. Let's, you know, solve this problem. Let's not die in a hellfire. And they're trying to connect that with the financial models and infrastructure that currently exists in our capitalist society, which is difficult because there's really no framework really, yet. Um, people are trying to just, you know, give money to a project and, like, have that be okay, you know? You need some sort of return on investment, and there's all these mm-hmm. timelines, and it's very complicated, and it's just, like, not my world at all. Um, but somebody needs to do it. It's it's an important world to be in. So that's, that's Socap. And then Verge, especially the Verge carbon tra- track, I... This is probably a term. I don't think I invented this term. I think I heard this somewhere. These are, generally speaking, your techno-optimists. They are working to invent new technologies that solve problems related to climate change. So, you know, if there's too much carbon in the atmosphere, I'll invent an online marketplace where people can pay to remove the CO2. Shout out to Nori. Um... Or is it, like, too hard to measure carbon sequestration? Um, I'll invent a technology that uses, um, what do you call it, LIDAR? Um, Kind of like radar, but LIDAR? That makes measurement of carbon in the forest easier, so shout out to Pachama. We met a lot of really cool people that are inventing a lot of really interesting things to solve these problems and, like, get us over the hurdles that make solving these issues difficult through technology. Um, And that is awesome. And then getting into the Regenerative Earth Summit, if you want to jump in, it's cool. Um, But these are the farmers, the ranchers, and people who are, you know, making food, making clothes, but working in direct partnership with the farmers and the ranchers for those resources in the supply chain. Um, And they are working on, you know, the regenerative movement, I think, is really lovely because they have um, zeroed in on a thing that has multiple solutions to a lot of the problems that our society is facing. So, you know, sequestering carbon by changing agricultural practices that also produce more nutrient foods, make more money for the farmers, um, you know, clean the water supplies, all these things. You're not pouring chemicals into the world. And so everyone is benefiting from that.
0: I I think it's a huge, huge system that I don't think a lot of average Joes and Janes really even think about totally they just buy the thing in the grocery store, eat it, throw away the packaging and move on with their life. So yeah, the agricultural industry is massive. There's all these different touch points, um so many different types of people and partners involved. It's a it's a major major uh industry.
1: Yeah. So it's a really cool conference where the organizer gives a voice to farmers and people that have historically been a little bit silenced and in the background and don't necessarily have a voice and we're kind of elevating them to celebrity farmer status like the, like what you're doing is super cool instead of what they usually hear is like what you're doing is very odd why are you not using these chemical fertilizers like why are you doing it this hard way you sure. know and it's all about this desire to build a better world um in a way that also is beneficial to. You know, the food, the value chain, the supply chain, creating income for my family, all of the things. It connects all of those dots, which is wonderful. Mm-hmm. Overarching similarities that all three audiences have. Um, you know, they all obviously are concerned about the same problem. Like, how do we not fuck up the planet? <laughs> this is important. Um, and they all believe that they are in the, the minority, you know, they look around at the world around them and most people just care about going to their jobs and posting selfies and getting their paycheck and vegging out in front of Netflix at night.
0: Yeah. I mean, the fact that these people are going to these types of conferences says a lot. It says that there, well, the fact that these conferences exist even says a lot Mm -hmm. that there's a desire for this, this content to be shared. Um, from thought leaders, from experts to other people so that we can kind of, kind of spread the word, if you will. Mm-hmm. And so when you have these people showing up to these types of conferences as conference goers, they obviously will meet people, whether it's during our networking event or just during lunch or other mingling networking events, you know, so that they can, they have a sense of like, oh, I found my people. Yeah. Right. Um, who, who doesn't want to be part of a, of a, of a larger group that's doing good in the world? And so uh, it's been awesome. I mean, me speaking personally, my professional work has always been in the social impact space. And when I started 10, 11 years ago, um, there wasn't as many of these types of socially minded types of conferences, spe- uh, specifically in the design space, uh, than there are now. So it's been really cool to see over the last decade the, the number of events and conferences Um, being developed to kind of speak to these types of people. So there is a desire for it, whether you're in the design creative space or in this case, in more of the business type um, industries.
1: Yeah, it's huge just being able to go into a room of 300 people and not have to, you know, start by saying, okay, here's what Soil is about, <laughs> you know, like everybody gets it. Yeah, You're like these are my people. I can kind of have a deeper conversation because we don't have to level set. We already are all on the same page, ish, mm-hmm. You know, and one of the other things that I'm noticing kind of connects all three of these groups is they're all systemic thinkers or system thinkers. Um, they understand that the change that we're trying to bring about in the world is a systemic change. It is a huge change to influence businesses and consumers and governments to create new ways of operating that ultimately you know we believe that this will create a a better more beautiful world and the way that things are going now business as usual the status quo is leading us to a place that will not be very beautiful it's undesirable um, and they understand that this touches everything from policy and legislature to um, the food supply, the um, manufacturing supply chains, um, the way businesses operate, the way people make money, and how the end users of those businesses behave and make their decisions and, you know, spend their time.
0: Yeah, I just thought of this. The people that show up to these types of conferences and are, or even just people that are doing this kind of work in general uh, – there's no hero mentality, because it's not going to take any one person to solve this It's going to take a lot of people from a lot of and we say this all the time to, to people that we we meet, or um, even on the podcast, you know, we feel like addressing our climate crisis is going to take all levels, all industries, all sectors, top down, bottom up, all hands on deck. And so these people that are working in these spaces, and in certain industries addressing our climate crisis, they're not looking for fame, they're not looking to become the the one person to solve it all there's no lone genius in any of this they're wanting to collaborate they're wanting to share information they're wanting to uh open source their knowledge so that other people can pick it up and work with it if they can um it's very uh you know humbling i guess to to know that there's people out there that are you know we're in this together mm-hmm. and why not you know collaborate more and just kind of what's the what's the phrase of rising tide
1: yeah something A something rising,
0: rising tide raises all ships
1: something something ships yes exactly Yeah, I think, yeah, there's, there's just this, there's this interesting thing that's happening where I don't even know like what to call these groups anymore. Like the group that we just described that are going to climate related conferences and that care about all of these things are these, I don't even know that I can call them environmentalists anymore. Like it used to be the environmentalist movement, but things are starting to shift now. You know, you're getting the technologists and the financial investor type people into it who are like, they care about these things too, but I don't know that they would definitely identify themselves as environmentalists. I think,
0: I think we just call it, how do we not fuck up the planet movement? (laughs) Seriously. I mean, whether we need a label or not, I don't know. I don't know what that one label would be, or if there's even one label to just, (laughs) to just, you know, use for everyone. I think everyone has their own personal motivations. And that's fine. I don't think there needs to be any one label. But uh, but I think at the end of the day, people recognize the fact that, yeah, we are screwing things up. I like living here. (laughs) I like my family living here. And I would like to see my family, you know, through generations continue to to thrive on this beautiful planet. And so I think people are waking up and realizing, recognizing that their talents, whether it's on the creative side, business side, whatever industry they're in, can contribute to this this crisis that we're facing. Yeah,
1: and so they're no longer, I guess what I'm identifying, and I do want to kind of identify it, they're no longer calling themselves environmentalists. And I think what that means is the environmental movement as it has been for the last 30, 50 years, I'm going to ruffle some feathers here, but it's coming to a close. It's time to move on. You're
0: talking about traditional environmental movement.
1: Mm-hmm. And I will I will open this can of worms. I will say that, you know, it's an old way of thinking that we need to change our behavior to save the planet. Right. You know, like, we're not prioritizing the planet over our own ability to thrive. And I think you totally hit on it when you're talking about what we are aiming for is a solution that allows humanity to thrive for generations and for ourselves and all that stuff. Um, I think the problem with the dying environmental movement and what is better about what's coming out of it, when people who are not of this mindset, when people are in the status quo mindset, look at the environmental movement, they think, these people do not care about me thriving. They care more about the planet, the forests, the animals. And they believe, and maybe this has been the case, that environmentalists prioritize those things over humans. And I don't even know if you remember or noticed this conversation. It was during the Regenerative Earth Summit. There was this really fascinating panel where a debate broke out between um, whether it's okay to eat meat or not.
0: Oh, yeah, I was there.
1: (laughs) And there was something that really, like, really subtle that happened between the two people that were arguing. One was talking about, like, meatless Mondays and um, going more towards the don't eat meat area. The other was a cattle rancher who totally understands that meat is part of this whole system. Um, You need cattle. You need hoofs pounding carbon into the soil, (laughs) like literally. Um, But you need the meat that is generated for consumption to be grown in a regenerative way. So there's a bunch of asterisks to this, but like just cutting out meat isn't a really great solution for people to thrive because some people have um, digestive or nutritional deficiencies, health problems, like in a huge you know portion of the population people still actually really do need eat and it's kind of a position of privilege to be able to take meat out of your diet and eat in a way that is um still nutritionally full and complete with a vegan diet like this is another can of worms to open but it was a debate that was kind of opened on the panel um I don't even know if it was on purpose, but it just happened. And they just kind of kind of kept digging at each other. And uh, she was digging at the idea that, you know, you, Meatless and Mondays is not the solution for a thriving, healthy population. And he was like, but I thought we were trying to save the planet. And there was kind of a silence for a beat. And then just, like, the conversation just kept going. Mm-hmm. But I totally noticed that. I don't even know if anyone noticed that. But I was like, oh, there's the problem. Like, it's a problem of... Where you're coming from, your perspective, your values, like, do you value all of humanity thriving? Or are you trying to just save this planet, this rock, (laughs) this, like, lump of um, plants and animals and things, like, even if all humans die? (laughs) It's just, uh, you you know, like, if you, if Uh -uh. they had sat down and both defined those parameters before launching into the conversation, like, it's just... It's just an exhausting thing that you have to do because you have to like go through a lot of science and biology, and
0: <laughs> yeah, but I think my takeaway from that is that there's no magic bullet to solve any of this. It's yeah. gonna take a lot of effort from and and the, this 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 crisis that we find ourselves in is relatively new in the grand scheme of things, so we're kind of making all this stuff up up as we go. Totally. there's no guidebook, there's no rule book, there's no you know magic. You know, formula out there that we need to uncover in a deep dark cave that's going <laughs> to say, here's how we solve all of this.
1: Yeah. And I think that's exactly what people are trying. To reach for is like, okay, just tell me how to solve it. Don't eat meat. Okay, great. Done.
0: Well, but I think it's what you described in the uh, with this panel is there's, there's multiple approaches and we don't know what approach is best just yet, perhaps because we don't know, we don't have enough data. It's not enough time to collect all that data. Um, but my personal opinion is that we just need to just try anything and everything and see what sticks.
1: Sure. And I'm not talking about solutions here. What I'm most interested in is You know, we are looking at huge culture and society change. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. And so what I'm really interested in is like, what is the process by which people's opinions and behaviors change?
0: Right. Where does that come from?
1: How do we get people to understand what it is that, you know, this movement is saying? How How does that message sink in to people's brains? Sure.
0: And is business the right, or not the right, is business one way of doing that?
1: Sure. So I'll just sort of touch on an interesting conversation that happened after we did our Think Wrong session. Um, This woman came up to me and said, I really loved your session. Uh, I thought it was really cool. I'm working on this app. And I had heard of the app during the the, um, conference. And so I was like, oh, yeah, that's a really cool app. And it's it's an app that works to um, influence consumer behavior towards more um, eco-friendly products. And Her main question to me, she's like, I want to pick your brain. How do I make people care about what we're doing? You know, and it it was implied that she meant, how do I make consumers? How do I reach more consumers and help them care about being more conscious about their consumption? And I stopped and I said, I think you're asking the wrong question. She's like, okay, I'm open to this. You just came out of a thinking wrong session and her creative connective powers are flying. And she's like, what question should I be asking? And I said, what you need to know is what do people care about already? And then once you understand what those people care about, how can you connect your product, your business, your solution with what they already care about? You're never going to make people care about the thing you care about by just telling them the facts.
0: (laughs) care because I say so (laughs) does not work. No,
1: it it really doesn't. And that I think is what the environmentalist movement has been trying to do for the last 30, 50 years. Sure. You know, so how do you influence people who are not?
0: Yeah, I think I had a conversation with someone at one of these conferences, I can't remember. And he was asking me, what are you seeing now in the in this movement as a designer, as someone on the creative side? And I listed out a few things, you know, some of these might be kind of a no brainer to some of you listening. Uh, One of them, you know, Lead with stories. Have stories in the work that you're doing. Don't lead with facts. Don't lead with data. That might appeal to fellow scientists and researchers. That's fine, and we're not saying that these are not important. But if you're trying to resonate with people, the average person who's going to download, use, consume, by whatever it is that you're creating, uh, you might not want to lead with facts. You might want to lead with a, with some sort of story or some sort of message that will resonate with them.
1: Yep, stories open the door, and then you can dive into the facts
0: right right and then you know i also shared you know different mediums that that work best you know video obviously uh plays a huge role in our daily consumption of information whether it's a 15 second video on instagram or youtube videos whatever documentaries obviously so you know videos um play a huge role because also going back to these stories video uh is a great medium to tell a story. You can get, you can see people's emotions, facial expressions. You can, you can hear their voices when they're talking about an issue. Um, so you, that really draws you in. Um, something I shared with him as well um, that I've been thinking about lately, personally, uh, over the last few months, is maybe just don't talk about climate in general. And I think this gets a little bit of, of what you were saying a few minutes ago, Sarah, about the the old school environmental movement where they talked a lot about the environment. Um, but
1: as a separate thing. As a
0: separate thing. But then again, would someone in the middle of Texas give a shit about pol- polar bears when they've never even you know, seen one in real life?
1: Yeah, it's not super relatable to what I care about.
0: And I was at a, an event months ago. I was talking to a, a, a gentleman who works a, a lot with um, farmers in Central Valley here in California. And he said something that really um, stayed with me. He's like, the moment you talk to these farmers about climate change, the moment you bring up that that phrase... They just completely turn off. They, they, they yeah. want to change the conversation or they want to probably even stop the conversation.
1: Not just farmers.
0: Well, right. Like so anyone. So, right, anyone. And so what I've been kind of chewing on since that um, conversation with that guy uh, is that what if we just don't talk about climate? What yeah. if we, we talk about clean and healthy air, clean water, if abundant talking, food?
1: Yeah, if you're talking to farmers, what do they care about? Access to water. Will they have enough water to raise their crops
0: or can they produce healthy produce so that it can sell more so they can get more money. Can they sell
1: it for a higher price? All of these things,
0: all these things address our climate crisis, but we're not leading with that. So just like what I mentioned earlier about leading with stories, not facts. Can we just talk about the beautiful, amazing world that we can create and all live in, um, all all of us
1: thrive in, thrive
0: in, uh, and oh, by the way, by doing that, we've addressed our climate crisis. So that's something I've been thinking about lately.
1: <laughs> By doing that, we don't all die in a hellfire in 15 years. Exactly.
0: So <laughs> so that's just something I've been thinking about lately with the work that we do. Obviously, we focus on helping organizations tackling climate. But um, yeah, just something I've been thinking about. And yeah, then, like
1: what you're talking about is appealing to their senses, appealing not to that part of their brain that processes facts and data, but you're appealing to the part of the brain that actually is in charge of our decision-making, it turns mm-hmm. out. Um, we make more decisions. I wish I could find the stat. I actually heard this. this there's been research. We make more of our decisions based on emotion mm-hmm. than on fact. And so right. stories are hardwired into our emotional centers as, you know, humans. Um and it's an, it's a multi-sensory experience. If sure. you can tap into, like you were saying, hearing somebody's voice, looking at their face while telling a story, um, you know, talk about the wind rustling through the grass or whatever. There's, um,
0: there's the, uh, the intercept video that, um, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez did the voiceover too. We'll, we'll link it below. Mm. Um, it was a really great, like eight minute video talking about the green new deal, but a lot of it was very optimistic. A lot of it highlighted an amazing future after the green new deal and all of its ideas were implemented. Um, so yeah, I think that's, again, um, We can use story as a way to paint that beautiful picture of the world that we all want to live in uh, so that people can get excited that it will resonate with their heart and then they'll do, they'll want to do something about it.
1: Yeah. So like they're getting excited and optimistic and resonating in a positive way. And then on that same note, not bringing up climate change and and dying in a hellfire because that turns off that whole mechanism. Totally. It shuts it down. All they have now is the emotion of fear, Mm -hmm. dread, anxiety, and like they're ability to make intelligent decisions or their desire to walk into something that's a little bit riskier or change just completely lose it it's totally gone so you lose your chance if you bring any of that up it's just not a way to influence people mm-hmm. so if we are trying to influence people by connecting what they care about with our solutions for this better world in addition to hooking into their emotions um you know i think that is one of the things that people are really bringing are really like becoming more open to after we do one of our thinking wrong section, sessions. And, you know, when I met Mark and learned about Think Wrong, I think that is one of the things that really resonated with me is this is a way to, um, you know, get people's I hate this phrase, creative juices flowing. Like, what the hell are those juices? Mm, Yummy. Ew. But, um, you know, like, you get into a frame of mind where you're able to connect seemingly unrelated things and relate them, and that's, like, one of the things that I would probably put as a bullet point to define what creativ- creativity is. Mm-hmm. And so they're able to, like, we ask people to pull random things out of their pockets, and they're able to then connect chapstick with educating farmers in regenerative practices, right? That's one of our exercises that we do, where, like, we ask people, what's your hidden talent? And uh, now we ask them, how do you connect juggling bowling pins or whatever it is with finding a market for products made of atmospheric carbon? <laughs> like. And the answers that we get are varied and diverse and amazing. And there's serendipity that happens. And people are like, oh, I know a guy who could totally help me with this. Or, you know, every time we do it, something different comes out of it, whether it's buying haikufarmers.com or uh, somebody standing up and singing to the crowd. Totally happened. Mm -hmm. Real story. So they get into the mindset of connecting seemingly unrelated things. And, like, the more you practice doing that, the better you get at it. And then... You know, so
0: the, the stronger you get at it. It's like going to the gym. Yeah, it just exactly. becomes it just becomes easy. You and, develop that's what, that muscle. and that's what that's that's the part of what creativity is. It's really just practicing these muscles. Yeah. With connecting these disparate ideas, these disparate thoughts to come up with new ideas.
1: Yeah. So if I go back to that question from before, like, how do I make people care or how do I influence people who are not in this movement? And you've developed that muscle of connecting things that don't seem related it becomes much easier to connect what they actually care about with the thing that you're doing. So if they care about making money and keeping their family safe and maybe even inflating their ego and just looking cool, you know, you start to think about creative ideas for how do you make your product cool? How do you make it, you know, boost somebody's ego? How do you make it or how do you help them realize that it will help them make more money and keep their family safe? You know, that is the ticket to making people care about what you're doing. Boom, the end. Done. So I, I I know I opened a few cans of worms there, and it's a little bit philosophical about, like, what is environmentalism today? <laughs> but I these don't are, have the answers. I think
0: these are important questions to start asking because, yeah. as I mentioned, this is a relatively new challenge that we're facing in the grand scheme of things. And so we're all learning this as we go. And, and um, yeah, none of us have the the one path, the one right path. I mean, I've, I feel like there's a lot of – there's definitely a lot of approaches that can – address this. I mean, look at the Project Drawdown book. There's, you know, mm-hmm. but solutions But you have and to approaches. define
1: what address this is. Right. Is it make a planet that's happy and healthy as it was 70 years ago? Or is it create a world that 100% of humanity can thrive in? And,
0: and to add to that, addressing <laughs> it would also mean how do we address it in our current within our current systems that have put us yes. into this place. Realistically, into this mess in the first place.
1: Practically
0: Exactly. Like so do we logistically do we do we modify and hijack existing systems or do we bulldoze those systems and create <laughs> new systems? So yeah, so yeah, we can have projects highlighted in project drawdown, for example, and so we know what to do, but it's a lot harder than than just flipping a switch.
1: Yeah, the doing of it is what I think we're we're growing more and more interested in right. how, how to make that happen. That's the important yeah. stuff. Till next time. Onward. So hey, if your company wants to start making big moves towards climate action, we want to tell you about our climate sprints. We offer climate innovation sprints that actually get stuff done.
0: It's a fun, interactive session that builds your team's collaboration skills in the process. Go to thedetermined.co slash climatesprints, all one word, to book your sprint today.
1: If you're one of the bold rebels doing work that addresses our climate crisis, we can help you set yourself apart and amplify your climate impact. You can learn more about us at thedetermined.co.
0: Thanks for listening. Oh, and thanks to Ian from Fugazi for permission to use this song. If you know anyone who might enjoy this podcast, feel free to share.